are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. A note to listeners, this show addresses heavy topics, including a description of the murder of a black man by police. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The View. This is Michael Tino joining you from Peekskill, New York, where it is um, a gray, cloudy spring day. Um, Today, uh, we are... uh, dealing with uh, an important and uh, difficult topic. Uh, We've we've titled our show today, Modern Day Lynchings, and uh, talking about what is ours as Unitarian Universalists to do and hold in these times. Uh, There are times at which uh, the world makes it very obvious that we on The View have to talk about something um, that is happening out there. that's hard. And so we're going to try to do this with um, as much grace as, as we can. And so I want, before I ask our hosts and our guest hosts to introduce themselves, uh, to, uh, to start with a little moment of centering, a little moment to, um, to take a deep breath, to understand that um, we are talking about lives and lives that are being taken and lives that are at risk. And um, and we are talking about Minneapolis, but we are talking about New York and we are talking about other cities, cities that are not in the news today as well. And we are, um, we're talking about difficult things. Uh, so welcome to The View this morning. Christina Rivera, how are you this morning? Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Rivera. I'm coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia, um, where the day is appropriately kind of gray and overcast. Aisha. I'm Aisha Hauser, and I'm in Seattle, Washington, um, where while there is the sun out, it is not something I'm gonna be able to uh, in any way feel warmth from uh, Meg. Hi, I'm Meg Riley. I'm in Minneapolis where it's gray and also around my house, it smells very much like burning. Um, a smell which I largely associate with fires in the woods, but in this case, it's uh, fires in the city. Um, Don Fortune is a guest host this morning. Don? Hi, good morning. Um, I'm here in South Jersey, not far from Atlantic City, where it is humid and kind of gray and misty. It seems to be a gray day everywhere. Um, it's a tough day. It's a, it's a tough time. Um, 
I wish I had words to heal. <sighs> but good morning. Darren, I don't know you. Welcome. And Lori Stone is doing tech for us this morning. Lori, do you want to say hi? Yes, thanks. Um, my name is Lori. I am in Phoenix, Arizona. It has been over 108 degrees here the last couple of days, and I suspect today will be the same. It's 8 a.m. here, so um, don't know quite yet what the high is going to be. And um, I'm erstwhile from Indianapolis as well. I, I moved out here three years ago, and I know that the community in Indianapolis is reeling uh, from three three deaths, extrajudicial deaths by police in, in, in an eight hour period a couple weeks ago. So I've been watching closely what's going there as well. As you mentioned, there's a lot of cities where this is happening that don't get into the news in the same way. So uh, I will be on YouTube today, uh, fielding your questions and comments and making sure that the panelists and guest host and hosts know what's happening there. And I'll be monitoring our Twitter uh, channel at CLFUU. So you can join us either of those places. Um, primarily, the best way to you know, talk to us is through the YouTube channel. Uh, that's where the majority of people, we've already got over 20 people hanging out there. So if you want to join the conversation, come hit us up at the YouTube channel. Thank you, Lori. We have three guests with us right now. We might have um, one more person joining us later. Um, things are moving and in progress right now. And for those who are new to us, either viewers or guests, we talk about the weather at the beginning of the hour to allow people a few minutes to make their way into our show. And it seems so trivial sometimes when um, people are dead and dying and being killed by police. And um, and yet we we do it because it allows people a few minutes to make their way in and not actually miss any of the important things that you are going to say in a few minutes. So we have um, Michael Dotson and Darren Woodson here from Minneapolis and Kiana Perkins here from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, I'm gonna ask you to introduce yourselves and uh, tell us um, why, why you're here this morning. Kiana, you're unmuted, so do you wanna start? Yeah, so my name's Kiana Perkins. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I lived in Minneapolis for the first 32 years of my life, 33-ish um, maybe actually. Um, and so I went to South High School, which is on 3131 19th Street. Um, I worked at the Midtown, I worked at the YWCA for seven years, which is right along Lake Street. Um, so when I say that's my community, like that's my home target. Like when I think of target, that's what I'm comparing it to. Um, so Minneapolis is home in every way possible. Um, I come here today uh, as a person who is filled with faith, um, who's filled with faith towards liberation of black and brown people and all the ways that we can get free. Um, I do work at a brick and mortar church here in Ann Arbor. I do volunteer very extensively with Black Lives Unitarian Universalist. And although all of those things appear and show up, I get to be here today as Kiana, a person who loves her community and wants to see us get liberated. 
Thank you, Kiana. Michael? My name is Michael Dotson. Um, I'm actually in St. Paul across the river from Minneapolis, but uh, uh, First Universalist Minneapolis is my home church. Um, I grew up in Chicago and have been in the Twin Cities for 55 years. Um, I've been involved at, uh, at First Universalist in a variety of different ways, and I currently facilitate a spiritual circle for people of color and indigenous people. Um, not sure what else would be uh, useful in this current introduction, so I'll stop. Thank you. Welcome. And Darren Woodson, welcome to our show. Uh, please introduce yourself. Hi, um, I'm Darren Woodson. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I identify as a black woman. Um, I don't right now feel compelled to usually do the typical qualifiers of like what makes me worthy to be here on the panel because I feel like it beats my inferiority complex. Um, I'd say I'm here because I'm exhausted. Um, and now is a time and a place in the middle of a pandemic where black and brown lives and indigenous lives are being wiped out by a virus at greater rates. Um, and we just don't even need murder on top of it. Um, and so from a spiritual place and a real place, like it's not just what are we gonna talk about, but like, what are we actually gonna do? Um, Cause I'm tired, I'm really tired. Thank you. And yeah, you're, here because you're important and <laughs> uh, you're important to, to Meg uh, who invited you to be here this morning so we're glad that you're with us. Um, I don't to be honest know where to start um, this conversation. Uh, I feel like Kiana you know where to start because please go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I want to I think we need to start this conversation um, from a spiritual place, because that's where, when you honor the spiritual connectivity that we all have to the pain that explicitly black and brown bodies are experiencing, um, the ability to engage it becomes different. Because I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to have a conversation about white guilt. I don't want to have a conversation about passing out cookies to white people for doing online activism. Um, I do want to have a conversation that's grounded in intentionality and honesty. And so that's going to require folks to like let down that shield and be really honest about deeply embedded systems of poverty and social inequality that are working how they're supposed to. This is, this is what happens. This is what's supposed to happen. This system is working exactly how it's supposed to. Um, to live in America as a black person, I'm not even gonna say brown, is to live with some level of gaslighting, um, of being told your reality isn't real. And rioting, as Dr. Martin Luther King, as we you use love to quote, is the language of the unheard. And so what we're seeing in Minneapolis, what we're seeing in places all across the country, and we have been since way before Ferguson, is 
an acknowledgement of that gaslighting, is an acknowledgement of these two dichotomous worlds where we matter, but nothing in our world affirms us in that mattering. You matter, we need you on the front lines. Here's a couple of masks, here's some gloves, here's $1,200, hope that works. We're not gonna freeze your rent. You don't, you, and go to work every day with no childcare and no way to support your family or pay medical bills if somebody gets sick. So these two contrasting conversations at some point are going to clash and that's what's happened in Minneapolis. Um, when you state sanction violence through police mandate, this is the result of what happens. Um, so I guess I just wanna put that out there that this isn't about guilting anyone or shaming anyone. This is about dismantling and abolishing. For me, I'm only speaking for me. Um, I'm not on the ground, I'm not in the city. I don't smell fire. I don't have ashes flying in my front yard. But everybody who, a lot of people who I love, my mom, my sisters, my siblings are in the, 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 the power of that movement and that energy right now. So I wanna just turn the floor over to the folks who are living in that reality, whose daily reality is impacted in ways that mine isn't because I'm here and not there. So let's do that. Um, maybe our, our guest from Minneapolis, St. Paul, will uh, tell us you know, a little bit about what it's like to be where you are right now. I would start saying like, thank you to Kiana for what she said. And I would say to be black and melanated in the US, it doesn't matter actually what like physical location you're in, the experience is the same, the gaslighting is the same, this, the state sanctioned murders is the same. Um, and so I, I, where I'm coming from into this space um, and from a spiritual place and sharing and being in circle yesterday with um, other people of color um, and sharing um, with our black minister, Karen Hutt, um, I'm in a space of a very hard truth of that um, the killings won't stop. Um, they won't because they are designed this way. Um, police are not designed to protect black lives. They're not designed to protect brown lives. They're designed to, um, they were created and designed to kill black lives specifically um, in this country. And they, I'm in a place of like, where do we start from there? Um, I'm also in a place of like, how do we abolish it? How do we get rid of it? Police within like, again, black and brown communities, um, because if they're function and designed to kill us, why do we need to hold on to it and convince others um, that this needs, system needs to stay for some false reason? Um, because I, I talked to my dad, I talked to my grandmother, or at least read the things from my grandmother because she had transitioned on um, almost two years ago. And then their stories are the same, that nothing has changed. Um, and it feels crazy to like expect a change to happen without a change, a, a dismantling and abolishing of systems um, and using that organized power um, to do that across the country. Because again, it doesn't matter what physical location we're in. Um, change at Minneapolis, we're in Indianapolis, we're in Detroit, we're in Arbor, anywhere. Um, 
we'll still get the same results. We still have the same results. It's just some of them are not fortunate to be recorded. Thank you. It, it's been suggested that before we go deeper into this conversation, maybe we should start with some basic facts about why we're talking about this, because there might be people out there in the view land who don't know, because part of the system that gaslights is, uh, is that people get to not know uh, if, uh, if our skin looks like this. <laughs> Um, so I'm wondering if someone with more familiarity of what has happened in Minneapolis specifically might tell us a little bit, and maybe Meg, you, you want to, to do that? Cause, um, sure. Thank you. It, it's hard to imagine anybody not knowing this because it's been international news because brave onlookers filmed and yelled and tried to stop a slow, sadistic, purposeful murder of an unarmed, uh, unresisting black man who was suspected of using a counterfeit $20 bill. And the police officer, who to my knowledge has not yet been arrested, uh, knelt on his neck for eight minutes while he slowly died. He wasn't moving for the last four minutes and the police officer did not get off his neck. So that video footage, which is, I, I hope no person of color I know has watched it. It is so traumatic. Um, has been condemned by people up to President Trump, ha ha ha, um, because it is so visibly cruel and vicious and wrong. And because of activism in this community, the officer who did that and the three officers who witnessed that because of activists and their demands were all suspended without pay, which is, new because the union says you get pay while things are investigated. The head of the police union, Bob Krull, is a white nationalist, as is true in many cities. And the police chief, Rondo, is a black officer who is now the chief, who at one point sued the department for racism and um, is nicknamed Officer Friendly. A super nice, thoughtful police officer um, who they have been using Obama's Department of Justice changes to change the way training happens and to change the way things happen. And these officers completely ignored that. This did completely violated every protocol and did this. Um. Yes, and so Brianna Taylor was murdered in her bed uh, by un, uh, by uh, police officers who were not in uniform, looking for a man who they already had in custody. So Brianna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, John Crawford, we can go down the list for going back to uh, the slave patrols, which is where this all started. Modern U.S. policing started with slave patrols, and that has not changed. And you only have to look at what happened at the Capitol in Michigan 
where armed white people were hostile, yelling at police, and the police did fucking nothing. So if there's any doubt, I, what I don't want to hear is one fucking Unitarian Universalist arguing with me about the words fucking white supremacy. I don't want to hear it, N not even a little bit. I don't want to hear about your fucking freedom of speech because look at those two images just weeks apart. Unarmed black people were in Minneapolis seeking justice. And now there's reports that some of those uh, looting and riots start, they don't, some dude was walking around breaking windows. Maybe that was a cop. We don't know. So this is, yes, George Floyd, yes, that happened. This is about continued slave patrol. White people in this country love their police. This is operating the way it's supposed to. That's what needs to change. And Unitarian Universalists who, who were able to work toward marriage equality can now work toward abolish, abolishing the police and transforming this fucking system that is working exactly the way it's supposed to. So this, this one incident was filmed and when in it, Brianna's murder was not filmed. So we don't hear about Brianna Taylor as much as we have been George Floyd, right? So th this, that's what needs to happen is, is white you use can, can stop with the guilt and can now mobilize the way we did for marriage equality, because that brought results. We're a thousand plus congregations. We may not be that many people, but when we want to change something, we do. Yeah, and I think I think to Aisha's point, you know, one of the reasons why I titled this um, <clears throat> this view about modern day lynchings and what is ours as Unitarian Universalists to do and hold in this times is because it is ours to do and to hold. There is no question that our Unitarian Universalist theology holds us to the liberation of all of our people and in particular, our black people. So there, the time for questioning whether or not the tactics that we're being told by our black and brown siblings are the right tactics or the right strategy, like that time is over. Right. So the time of of, you know, kind of having this intellectual curiosity about, you know, whether or not um, abolishing, you know, ICE and abolishing the prison industrial complex can actually be done. That time is over like that, that, that intellectual pursuit of, you know, reason and and into you know this, this there's other words for it that I won't use on the view but it's just you know that that time is over you if you want to continue to have those those intellectual thoughts and and conversations that's not what we need at this time and it's not saying that reason isn't a valuable thing to do it's not saying intellectual pursuits aren't valuable what it's saying is we know what needs to happen. We know that we need to dismantle the prison industrial complex. We know that we need to abolish ICE. We know that we need to abolish the way that police you know, operates. We know this. This is not, um, this isn't a time for us to, to try and figure things out or wonder what it is for us to do. We know that our theology says that we already have the access to heaven on earth. We just need to work to make it available for everyone. And so 
as Unitarian Universalists, this is ours to do. It's not ours to, you know, wonder about who else is going to be doing this work. It is ours to do. And as Aisha said, we've done it. We know how to do this work. It has to be something that we are willing to commit our lives to. Yeah, I think it's also important to note um, how deeply embedded in the experience of whiteness in the United States, the fact that that's what the police do um, is. Um, and if there's any question about that, we can look at the news in New York where um, you know a black man watching birds in Central Park asked a white woman to put her dog on a leash and she called the police and said, I'm gonna tell them that an African-American man is threatening me because she knew, she knew that the police would be her lynch mob if she needed them or wanted them to be. She didn't need them. <laughs> she did not need it. Um, so it's, it's embedded in also in, in the experience of whiteness in the United States too, this white supremacy uh, and, and the, way, the way in which the police reinforce white supremacy. Kiana? So a question was asked about um, essentially how are folks uh, keeping faith and staying in a space of radical love? In this moment, radical love looks like radically loving myself. Um, I feel like things happen in waves and layers. First, you got to love you. Then you can love your you know, next layer of circle. It kind of keeps going and going. And right now, radical love looks a lot like using big words like abolition. Um, it, it means using big words like dismantle. It means using the word black with a capital B and not shying away from that. Um, it looks like giving myself space to not be in meetings, to not be in mixed space if that's not helping my spirit. Um, it's opening up spaces and saying, I'm in this Zoom room. And if you are a person who identifies as black, I'm gonna be here for the next hour just to hold space for you. Radical love at this point, I have not shifted my love circle to care about larger community, which in this case includes white people. I'm not there yet. It's gonna be a minute. Um, I'm a mom, I have two kids to protect. I have to protect my own heart and spirit. Um, and so I guess that's how I'm taking care of myself is by owning the capacity in which I can function, which right now is my immediate, are my kids okay? Am I okay? Let me have this conversation with CLF and then I need to like step away for a while. Um, and then I can maybe come back to the table and open the circle a little wider, but self-care right now is really radical. Um, to to not be uh, educating and servicing white folks who are just trying to understand. I'm I'm not I'm not a good understand teacher right now. I'm a good go find your people and have a conversation with your people right now person. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Dotson. Um, I'm aware that I started going around our guests and didn't get to you because we were asked for background, and I want to bring your voice in. Um, how are you doing right now? Um, thank you, Michael. I 
in this conversation am um, not sure how to fit into the flow of the conversation. The realities have been spoken, identified. There have, people have said, this is what needs to happen. And I don't argue with any of that. Where I find myself, um, and maybe it's an answer to your question about self-love is, um, to me, the world is, is going by and I feel like I'm standing in the middle of the street um, without a great deal of power and at risk. Um, so it doesn't, I think, shed light on what needs to be done or how other people will proceed. But my self-love is um, trying to sense what's happening in my body. Um, and there's an energy, but there's also a numbness. Um, and be at peace with being threatened in the world, not acceptance. Um, but I don't have a sense of intent. This is what I need to do. Because in a way we're having this conversation as though we're having this conversation because something terrible happened in Minneapolis a black man was killed by the police. And that makes this a significant, significant conversation. But, but, but the experience isn't unique. And so it's, a, it's, it's again, um, and I don't know what to say to the experience of again. I like, I'm an educator, uh, I'm a counselor. I like to do things that are productive and support human development. I don't have anything to give in that vein right now. Thank you. So we, we do have a number of people um, online engaging in conversation. I want to uh, to hold up that the question about love came from Ndidi Achebe. Uh, so just to, to bring uh, the, our, our guests, our, our viewers into, uh, into this. Um, Jacaren Taylor writes, talk, talk, talk only goes so far. What's the plan? That's a Let's talk question. about action. What okay. what can what can you use do? <laughs> Please. Right, and I'm, I think go ahead. Go ahead, Jaren. 
I was just going to name, I've spoken on this in front of the child at my church and stuff like that, which is I, UU is for at least first universalist, it's a predominantly white space. And white people need to actually do the inner work and recognize that they are inherently racist the same way I was born into our society and am inherently anti-Black. Those are ugly truths that need to be reckoned with. Because when it doesn't get reckoned with, what ends up happening over and over in these UU spaces is white congregants keep wanting to save us because they deep-seatedly think that they are better than us. They believe deep-seatedly that they are superior to us. And so, so much of their identity is wrapped in and around that. I don't need you to save me. Nope. I don't need you <laughs> to validate me. I need you in a simple action to take your white body and physically put it there in front of the police and protect me. Because if you have the ability to walk into a school or go to a place and shoot it up and walk out with your lives, then as much as you're recording, you are safe to walk your physical body up into that police officer's face and you will still have your life. You need to use that for protection. No words, no validations. And if you, again, constantly deal with the threat of, oh, but is this right or this and this, that's coming from a place of superiority. That's coming from a place that you need to look inward and look at your soul and recognize this is a reckoning of your soul, not mine. Toni Morrison talks about that all the time. It's a reckoning of white people's souls, their morals, not ours. You need to do that work. I just need to acknowledge the sermon we just heard. Darren. I don't need your book club. I don't need your Martin Luther King speech on January 19th. I need you to use your body to save my life. Not your life for my life. That's not what you just said, Darren. You said, I need you to use your body to save my life because we are interconnected. Which one of the principles is that? I know somebody else knows that. Thank you, Darren, for calling that, for naming that. Some other things, if you are physically in Minneapolis, find a small business that is along Lake Street. Offer to clean up glass. Offer to board up windows. Offer to help financially restore their business. Tell them thank you for being a business along a corridor that supports your community. If you are physically in Minneapolis, there are places where you can drop off milk and magnesia and other medical supplies, different churches and other places have been set up. All you need is Google. You have Wi-Fi. You're here. Don't play me. Okay. If you want to give of your time, of your physical resources, drop off 10 masks somewhere. Sew 10 of them today and drop them off at First Universalist Church. The address is what? Uh, DuPont? I don't even know the numbers anymore. If you are not in Minneapolis, if you are not physically in that area, go online, find a business that needs support. Google, it's real easy. Give your money. Make no mistake, capitalism and this system of oppression are tied together. 
Money won't solve everything, but it will make a difference. Don't kid yourself. Give to bail funds. People are being held who have committed no other crime than saying the death of this man was wrong. Give your money. Sit your white children down and tell them you are not colorblind and neither are they. If you are willing to have this conversation with us, you need to be willing to have it with a child. I'm a person who parents with a white person. They are sitting down and talking to my two black children right now about how they feel and their own personal responsibility in making a change. You're a parent, have a parent conversation. You have a cousin, go talk to your cousin. Don't come talk to brown and black folks who are in pain and trauma. We are healing ourselves. If the only super cape you can put on is to save black and brown people, you have already died. You have already not saved yourself. When you are in an airplane, what's the first thing they tell you? Use your mask. Because if you can't save you from your whiteness, you sure in the hell will not be using your whiteness to save me. It doesn't work that way. I said it. I said it. I said it. So if you need to use your whiteness to save somebody, save yourself. Become your own savior. I got this. I have a community of black and brown people who are surrounding me 20, 30, 50 layers deep. Who's surrounding you? Who did you call this morning to make sure they were okay? Who did you check on this morning? We got us. We been had us. Who got you? Who are you upholding? What narrative are you changing? I'm going to stop. But the truth of the matter is, I'm going to stop. Mm. Mm. Find your people. Love on your people. And get back in the street. Amen. Amen. I will not argue with any of that. I thank you, Kingwa, Darren. Um, I think I introduced a, a skeptical, non-hopeful note when I spoke before, and I'll bring it again. This is, again, so somebody tell me why it's going to be different this time, why people are going to do something different this time that they didn't do last time and the time before. We are ripe for change. I don't know what's going to make that happen. You use will be a good place to make things happen. There's a lot of power in our congregations. But tell me, please, what's going to be different this time from every other time before? I would love that question to be answered because I don't want to stay framed in an unhopeful position. So I really do want a positive answer. What's gonna change this time and why? I mean, I think for me, I think um, for me, I think the hard answer is um, it's not. Like, I, you know, I think one of the hard answers that I've learned through my through my ministry is um, 
the, the change that we need in order for our people to stop dying um, is probably not something I'm going to see. Um, and that's, that's hard. That's, you know, it's, it feels like it's giving up on, on the thing that is most precious to me, which is my children. Um, and so, you know, I think Ndidi asked, you know, how do we keep going? How do we continue to have faith in the face of, how do I continue to have faith in the face of knowing that this is going to happen again, right? That's, that's the hard truth that this is going to happen again. Um, and, and to me, the, the faith in, is in the people. It's in my Unitarian Universalist community of people like Asia and Kiana and Leslie and Marisol and Julika. It is in knowing that, that the people that I, like Kiana said, those layers, that we will not give up making those, forcing that incremental change that will ultimately get to where our children are free. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just my cynical view for the day, um, but it's real for me. It's real for me right now to, to name that, you know, I, it's going to happen again, and I'm not going to see um, that outcome that I want for me. When I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, the idea of two men, two women, transgender folks marrying was as preposterous as abolishing jails right now. It can be done, and part of me wants to give in to saying it won't, but it can. There is nothing about transforming our justice system that is impossible. Because if white people want it, it'll happen tomorrow. This, this, that's a fact, an actual factual. And when folks in UU, in UU I'm using UU, this is what I know the best. Family members came out as gay and trans. Suddenly it was, oh, it was my brother, my sister, my child, my, my sibling, my cousin, my uncle. Then there was the will to, to make something happen that was unimaginable. Think about when you were a child, the idea of same gen, and I, I mean, that's one example. And it happened in our lifetime, right? I heard same thing that you just said, Chris, I heard people say, it's not gonna happen in our lifetime. Like that's impossible, you know, children, we gotta protect. There was all the reasons why it couldn't happen. So I named that because when people want it, it happens. There, there's no reason why it can't happen except Who's invested in the system staying exactly the way it is? And you need to let go of that investment because you're not getting a return because this system will hurt you. It's happening. So if you don't recognize that, then that this is gonna, it literally, you're gonna let it all burn down rather than fix it for all of us. I, I absolutely agree with you, Aisha. Um, I think, where I see the difference in Unitarian Universalist spaces is, um, is marriage equality affected white people? 
right? Marriage equality or not being able to be married affected white people. And it was something that, that like you said, it, it, there was a, um, a tangible um, benefit to putting that forward. And I'm not saying it wasn't a worthy thing to work on, <laughs> let me be clear. But what I'm saying is that the investment that people felt was because they could see their, you know, gay and lesbian and bi um, congregants in, you know, in the community, in, in the UU community and, and say, oh yeah, you know, that's something that affects me and, and I want that. Um, and, and white people wanted that. Um, so Kiana is here in part because of the work that she does with Blue, with Black Lives of Unitarian Universalists. And um, I want her to be able to, to say some of the stuff that she's doing with Blue. And you're muted, Kiana. You got to unmute yourself. You're muted, Kiana. You got to unmute. I was all on a rant. No, I'm just kidding. Um. In the time of COVID, in the time of rioting, in the time of unrest, um, brown and black folks need spaces to hold them. Um, so some of the things that Blue has already been doing is being innovative with how we use online resources. Um, and Didi asked this question, I think I didn't speak to this point, which is, I'm taking care of the youth in my community. I run a program every Saturday called Blueberries, which is for uh, black youth, and it's also for their caregivers, can be any shade, um, but it is explicitly for black children and youth to have access to community. Um, Blue's doing other things like planning Juneteenth, which will be exclusively black space to hold our history and our story. And I guess I just want to say that there's things that you can do in your closed community that look a lot like that. Um, if you have access to Zoom, you can do a 40 minute circle and invite people into the space and say, I'm gonna be here for an hour. That's a really easy way to just have dialogue and to hold each other. Um, I think that we have to just be present for each other right now, um, for each other's emotions, not to control them or to shame them or anything, just to have space to say out loud all the things that are happening inside of us. That's how we can nurture and cultivate community. Um, and I just want to say, like, when you find that community or those folks, if they're not having conversations about the impact of this state-sanctioned violence, those aren't your people. If you feel that calling in your spirit and the places you're going to get fed aren't feeding you, walk away. Walk away. If your UU community isn't feeding your spirit right now, if your minister doesn't say anything about this, if your, if your church isn't posting something, isn't looking at it, isn't being radical, think about that. Um, that's something Blue has really pushed me to do to say, if I'm not being served, if the table isn't long enough, there isn't enough chairs and the food that I eat isn't on the table, it's not my restaurant, it's not my place. Um, so I push white folks, I push brown folks, black folks to make sure that the spaces that you are going to get fed are willing to accommodate you, accommodate your spirit and accommodate the pain you're experiencing. Um, and if they're not, create your own, create your own. Um, I believe Maya Angelou writes this amazing story about her, her grandmother who she couldn't see herself working a job anywhere. So she made her own job. She started cooking food and selling it to folks until they were so dependent on her, she built a store. And so Blue, 
the work that I do, the work that many of us do in Brown communities, what is out there isn't serving us. So we are reclaiming processes like restorative justice and transformative justice circles to restore us to some version of right and just. And it will not look like prisons. It will not look like bail. It will not look like police federations begging them to not fucking kill us. We cannot use that model and move forward. Find your community, make your community, find your people, please. And doing that work grounded in Unitarian Universalist faith and theology, Black Unitarian Universalist faith and theology, um, authentically, uh, I just want to name that because it's possible. Uh, it is possible that 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 space exists, um, and the possibility that that space exists is important. So where do we go next, Christina? Well, I I want to continue with Kiana said is you know I I'm hoping that um, Unitarian Universalists are examining what they're going to be doing and that that examination isn't about what makes them as, and this I'm directing primarily to our white UUs, isn't about what's making them feel better, but what is materially changing the lives of black people. Um, so what is it that you're doing? If you're, you know, jogging and saying that you're jogging for somebody, how is that materially changing for the better the life of a black person in your community? Um, because if it isn't, if you can't draw that direct connect line, then it is a waste of your time and energy. So, you know, are you jogging to protect somebody else to be able to jog and to enjoy themselves? Awesome. If you're just jogging so that you can post it on Instagram, that's just not going to do it. So, you know, make some, make some, make some thoughtful choices, people. Like make some thoughtful choices. It's it's not hard and it just requires intention. For white you use, I want to invite you tonight to a webinar. Chris Crass is doing, CLF is a sponsor of it. Um, it'll be at eight o'clock Eastern, seven central, you know, all of those time zones. But I think white people, we got some really serious work to do here. And this is a space to come and really look at deepening commitment. I'm aware that we are just a few minutes from the top of the hour and I wanna make sure each of our guests has a chance to say whatever they feel has been unsaid uh, so far. So Darren, would you, do you have anything that you wanna add as we close our show? Uh, no, it's already been spoken into existence. And so again, now's not the time for words. It's now's the time for action. And who are you? I know who I am, but who are you? And who are you going to be in this time? Michael? I will, I will be watching and hopefully find something that causes me to believe in a better future. Um, I hope I do. Kiana? 
find your people, love on your people and get back in the streets, whatever those streets look like for you. Um, if you're at the dog park and a white woman needs to call the police, speak up. If you are watching a man physically harm another man, speak up. Um, we have work to do. Thank you. And who am I and where is my body? And where is my body in relationship to the bodies that are being attacked and killed? Oh, it's an important, important conversation that is not done. Next week, the Commission on Institutional Change is coming back and they're talking with us about accountability. So, <laughs> the conversation continues. The conversation uh, is important and it continues. And um, for those of you who have not been tuning into our shows with the Commission on Institutional Change, they are pushing Unitarian Universalism and its institutions, its congregations and our association hard to do transformative, liberatory, accountable work. And we appreciate them doing that and um, we're giving them space here because what they're doing is so important. Any final words from anyone? Well, maybe we end, oh, Meg, please. I know it's really hard for people of color to be in mixed spaces right now. So I really want to extend profound gratitude to our guests and hosts today. Well, I'm gonna invite us to end in the spiritual space that we began, maybe with just a moment of reflection, a moment of silence. Go in peace, beloved. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.